0: All right, so let's see. Don't have much in the way of announcements. Um, Even though we're coming up on Holy Week and Easter, we will be here on Tuesdays, except for one Tuesday, April 26th, when Patty and I will not be here because we are going to be on a much-needed vacation. We are going to be in California, and so don't come here on April 26th. But otherwise, we'll be here um and um just continue to make our way through John Newport Beach tough life so so when we um when we finish John as i said and we will in the next 2 or 3 weeks we will then roll into Paul's letter 1 Corinthians and we'll stay in the New Testament because my Monday class which is staying online is in Isaiah and we'll be in Isaiah for a good Time yet, even though I'm doing, you'll get a charge out of this. I'm doing 22 chapters in two weeks. Andy doesn't believe it can be done. We'll see. We'll see. We did, how many did we do yesterday? We did at least 10. We're Well, maybe we'll take three weeks, but I think we'll be blasting to get to chapter 36 in Isaiah. So anyway, just so glad that everybody's here. You got lunches and everything. It's just awesome to be back here on Tuesdays. And you know what we get to do now? For the next two or three weeks, we're going to get to talk about the resurrection of Jesus. I mean, that's amazing and cool and wonderful, and, and some of you are veterans with me and some of you are new to my classes and so we want to make sure that we really take this opportunity at easter time right to 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 gain a deeper understanding of easter and the resurrection and its connection to um jesus's incarnation and um our own our own salvation so, all right. Patty, do you have anything you would like to add up front here? The online folks, hey, online people, I th- let me look, walk over here. Hey. <laughs> we're looking good online? We are. Good. Somebody has commented that it's very hard to see the picture because of the
1: background.
0: Yes, the picture for the online people, I know it's hard to see me. It's because we're backlit. The camera can't cope with the backlighting your human eyes here in the room probably can't cope with the backlighting. So they switched the room, this direction, and I said, well, we're gonna need curtains on the doors to cover up, to reduce the backlighting issue. So those are coming. I've been reassured they're coming. I don't know how long that is gonna take, but anyway, there we go. It'll it'll happen, someday we'll walk down here and it'll be pleasantly surprised that it happened. But until then, it will be kind of funky, especially for the online people. Okay. Any other announcements or anything? There are two red boxes here. If they could go two directions, and if you could register your presence, that would be great. Um, And if you are new to the class and would like to be on the roster, and I hope you would be, just write your name and email address in a blank space on the sheet, and Connie will get you added to the roster for the class. Um, so you'll be able to keep up with what's going on. All right, let's pray. Gracious Lord, we are grateful to be here today. We are grateful um, that we can come together in this way to study your word. We are grateful that here, as we approach Holy Week and Easter, that we have arrived in the Gospel of John, at John's telling of the resurrection of Jesus. And we pray that you will open our hearts and our minds so we can we can understand the, the truth of the resurrection, the meaning of the resurrection um, um, at a level we have not before. Um, all this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so, just to review just a little bit, the circled, this is the model of Jerusalem and Jesus' day that is at the Israel Museum in Jerusalem. And the circle is around the spot called Golgotha. It is the spot where Jesus was crucified and buried, and hence the place where you find the empty tomb. And on top of this area today is the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. Okay? We talked last week about burial practices that the body would be taken down into a tomb uh, maybe look like this. This is, this is a little too high and fancy and all that kind of stuff. The most, most of the tombs were very low, the doors were low. They were kind of caves and, and they would carve out little niches or little tables on which the bodies could lay until they decomposed um, and then the bo- bones would be collected and put into a bone box like this. Here's a simple, non-ornate little bone box, and the person's name would be scratched in at the end, kind of like we do gravestones, and then they would be stacked one on top of the other in the back of the tomb. And they buried people like this for the period of maybe 100 years before Jesus until the time that the Romans came in and swept everything away Finally, fully, completely, about 100 years after Jesus, something like that. And uh, last week, we read far enough into it to, to see that in John's telling of this story, because every gospel writer has the own, own things they want to bring out, right? The, the gospel stories are complementary. They are. Um, I have a book on my shelf by Mark Strauss called Four Portraits of Jesus. The, God, the Gospels are not there um, for us to take them all apart and figure out how to put them all together. In our little modern-day Western mind. we want it all chronologically and perfect and everything like that. They are painting portraits of Jesus so that you will come to know this person in whom you are asked to your trust and faith. And so John has his portrait of Jesus, and we've been doing for months now. The most difficult thing to be, to comprehend about Jesus isn't that he was um, the Jewish Messiah. It is that he was God, right? So that is where John began his gospel. Remember in in chapter 1, verse 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and then in verse 14 of the prologue, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And wow, you are off to the races. And so John's gospel is very, very consumed with trying to impress upon the reader the truth of, of that Jesus is the incarnation of God himself. And um, when we come to uh, Jesus' crucifixion um, and then his resurrection, John tells us that on the Sunday morning, Mary Magdalene is coming to the tomb to take care of the body. And the reason she's coming to the tomb to take care of the body is that that bodies can't be handled during the Sabbath. The Sabbath is from sundown Friday until sundown Saturday. So they are going to um, come on Sunday morning in order to finish tending the body to make sure it's properly, properly wrapped, properly placed. And when she arrives at the tomb, she finds a stone rolled away and she runs away at that point to get help without checking inside right and then they come back and peter and another disciple with him probably john himself the disciple whom jesus loved they're inside the tomb and then they go running to tell others leaving mary there at the tomb by herself and so i want to pick up at um verse 11 of chapter 20 because that's rough. We went a little ways further than that but but, but that's where I want to start. Okay, so before I do any questions this is why we gather for questions. Yes, sir. In Matthew's account he emphasizes the role of the Romans of the Roman soldiers at the tomb. It's only in Matthew's account. Um, John, Mark, Luke don't have that same that that same story um presumably you know um they're there in matthew's story they are there in his account they are there to really to make sure that um legends about jesus didn't grow up um and that's probably you know if you see the movie risen that that's what they weave into the story but that's not john john doesn't care about that stuff He doesn't care about the way he, in fact, he doesn't care that there were other women with Mary. He's focused like a, like a what? Like a laser, like a laser on Mary Magdalene. And as I said last week, this is the first time she appears in John's Gospel. Isn't that interesting? She's from Magdala on the western shore of the Sea of Galilee. She appears to have been possessed in some way and Jesus healed her. Um, she has been maligned over the centuries. Pope Gregory the Great maligned her terribly, conflating her with one of the prostitutes in the Gospels. Did her a terrible disservice because there's no reason to conflate her with one of the prostitutes. He just, he just got mixed up as far as people can tell. But it lived on, you know, Mary Magdalene, this you know, uh, uh, woman of disrepute not mary mary's one of the disciples every reason to think mary is close to jesus based upon what we see happening here particularly in john 20 even though john hasn't gotten into mary's story before now anything else okay so verse 11 so you you, you've got to get real personal with this i mean john writes a very personal type of account right very focused on Mary it's very very it's poignant in a way the other gospel accounts are not poignant now Mary stood outside the tomb crying crying because somebody has made off with Jesus's body is as I said last week there is nothing going on in her mind about Jesus having been resurrected. Nothing. There was no expectation of a single Jew being resurrected. There was no expectation of a Messiah being crucified. She's crying because this man whom she has followed and whom she has loved along with the other disciples, somebody has desecrated his grave. They have made off with his body for whatever purposes they might want. That's why she's crying. It's been a horrific weekend. He was crucified on Friday, and now the stone's rolled away, and his body has been taken, and she doesn't know does where. So she's weeping. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb herself, right? This is her first time to step over and kind of, she probably has to actually bend over to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body one at the head, the other at the foot. So let's just imagine it was something like this. They are sitting in the niche here, one over the foot where the foot was and one where the head was, these two figures in white. I don't know that she thinks they're angels. Usually in Scripture people don't really think they're angels. These persons they encounter. But... um, (laughs) Right, she saw the wings. Probably not, because the angels don't have wings, Gary. Okay, <laughs> but, but she sees what, what, what John tells us were two angels in white, um, right? White is pure, white is, pure, white is clean, um, white is appropriate. And so the two figures in white, these two angels in white, they asked her, woman, why are you crying? And she says to them, very plainly, they've taken my Lord away. And I don't know where they have put him. It's so sad. Well, verse 16, at this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she didn't realize it was Jesus. So, okay, so she's, she's poked her head inside the tomb two people are there what she makes of that I don't know and 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 she tells them why she's weeping she turns around the state of her mind I can't even imagine and she sees Jesus but she doesn't know it's Jesus okay so how could she like not know it's Jesus that's a question I've gotten asked a hundred times okay so first of all Jesus could have had us back to her. That's the way it's done in a couple of films about Jesus in, in, in the garden here. I think it is two things. Though Jesus is recognizable, he is glorified because you and I know what has happened, right? Um, I think more of it, though, is simple human psychology. Have you ever, um, okay, you, you, you're going to pick a spoonful of something to eat. And it's it's something that you actually like, but you think it's something different. And you put it in your mouth, and you taste it, and it tastes awful because it's not what your mouth was expecting. And your brain can't process it. That's what I, I think is just simple human psychology. There is no expectation of a resurrected Jesus, of a resurrected Messiah, of a single Jew being resurrected. So how could she turn around and say oh hi Jesus (laughs) if she did turn around and say oh hi Jesus would she think he had been resurrected what do you think well what would she think she had was encountering his ghost they had words for ghosts they you know sure in Homer they're called shades Um, they're where you they're your existence after your death down in Hades the place of the dead and so um, uh, she would think she was encountering Jesus' ghost or something, but she, her eyes are filled with tears. She's overcome with emotion. She turns around, she sees a figure that is Jesus, but she doesn't, she doesn't realize it's Jesus. She, maybe she just't Maybe it's just that she's been crying so much that she can't see any better than I can.? Kay? as I slip my glasses back on her. So here Jesus asked her. Woman, why are you crying? That's exactly the same question, right? Look up at verse 13. Woman, why are you crying? Who is it that you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, a person there. Remember, I explained last week that the the um this is a quarry area. But a lot. This is where stones were taken out. Some of them are so enormous you can't even contemplate them used to make the temple mount it's it's sunken which means it would hold water so these areas tended to be greener than the surrounding area and of course if you've been to Jerusalem you can imagine that people would try to take care of green areas just like we have green spaces and green tracks that we try to take care of in Texas because it's so hard to get things to stay green and um But there's a piece of theology that I think we're supposed to get here. I think John thinks we'll get this. It is a, first of all, it is a new tomb. Right? Remember, it's a new tomb. And now Jesus is the gardener. The gardener. And in the story of creation, who is the gardener? It is God who is the gardener, right? And because the story of creation is is built around this Garden of Eden, right? So so I think John hopes that we will make that connection between her thinking he's the gardener in the and this new tomb and put all this together and sort of raise our raise our eyes a little bit out of the just the little moment to moment little happenings and understand the significance of what is happening here because Jesus was crucified and now she doesn't know it yet but now Jesus is risen. God has raised him to a, from a life after death to a life after life after death. So let's just read on just a little bit more and then we'll stop from, from quest- for questions. She said, thinking he was a gardener, she said, sir... If you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will get him. And Jesus then says to her, Mary. And I think it's one of these deliberate kind of things, you know. Um, you know almost like you, you ever put your hand on somebody's arm to, to calm them down, and you look at them intently in their face, and, and he, Mary. Patty does that to me once in a while. <laughs> <laughs> to, to calm me down as I get, get Scotty? Okay, he, he says, Mary. <gasps> and all of a sudden she gets it. I don't know. Don't ask me what she's thinking. I don't know what she's thinking. All we know is what is what she um, would have told others or Jesus would have told others. And John writes in his account for us, Jesus said to her, one word, Mary. And she turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic. That's the language they spoke. They didn't speak Hebrew back and forth, these people, on a day-to-day basis. Rabboni, which John helpfully translates for the reader because most of his readers would not know Aramaic which means teacher, okay? And Jesus said to her, Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Okay, that's a loaded paragraph. Okay, let me go back to, this is a famous painting of of Jesus and Mary. Of Mary reaching out to grasp Jesus and Jesus stepping away, and you know, it's one artist's imagination about this. So let's start. So why, why doesn't Jesus want her to hold on to him? What? He hasn't ascended into, he has into heaven, right? I mean, t- he, he's not going to be part this world anymore in the way that he has been and she might want to take him back into this world the way that that he has been or the way that he was but that's behind him you s- um he he is going forward and he is going to ascend to the father now sometimes people think it what is being conveyed here is that he is actually immaterial non-material like what like a ghost but we're going to find out in just a little bit well that's not the case because old thomas is going to come and go in two knuckles deep into jesus's wound okay so it's not that and in fact maybe right now we will just go to luke's account just so i can convey to you what resurrection is because resurrection is a word from the greeks and it's an ostasis in the greeks it is a word that had a meaning It didn't mean ghost. It didn't mean shade. It meant bodily present after your death. So that if you were, let's say, you were walking down a beach um, and you encountered Achilles, right? You would not think (laughs) that you encountered Achilles in the flesh. You would think you had encountered Achilles' shade um, because Homer has, in Homer's, Theology. there's this area of where the dead pe- dead people go their shades they' there it's not worse place to be it's not a great place to be but if you encounter somebody from there you're merely encountering their in, immaterial non-material shade their non-material ghost so let's go to Luke 20 to f- 24 just to help us with this because this is absolutely 100% Essential to making sense of what we read in their plainest sense. The only reason people have ever had difficulty with this in the last hundred years is because I think they have limited imaginations. And, and you know, they, they, they are encountering, when we come to resurrection, we're encountering something that science can't touch. But science is not the end-all, be-all. I have a Ph.D. in a social science. I took a whole course. He had to take a course in the history and theory of science, and, and science is a way of knowing, but it's not the only way of knowing. So, um, look at... We're going to go to Luke 24... Verse 36, this is, this, is so, this is after Jesus has met the two disciples on the road to Emmaus. Luke 24, verse 36, the disciples are gathered. While they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. They were startled, <laughs> no kidding, and frightened, thinking what? that they saw a ghost. Of course they would think they were seeing a ghost. There's no expectation of resurrection. That's the key. Of course they think they're seeing a ghost. And what does Jesus say to them? (laughs) Why are you troubled? Why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It's I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost doesn't have flesh and bones. As you see, I have. And when when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still did not believe it, because of joy and amazement, (laughs) and a big dose of skepticism, I think, he asked them, Do you have anything here to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish. I hope it was good. It was probably tilapia. (laughs) Because there's a whole lot of tilapia in the Sea of Galilee. So, (laughs) yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so they gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it in their presence. Why did he eat it in their presence? To show them that he was newly embodied. See, um, for a long time, I was confused about this myself because um, just a lot lot of Christians are. We're in chapter 20 of John. We go back to chapter 11 in John. We come to the story of Lazarus right who is dead 4 days and it's we're, it's 4 days because we are to know that he is dead dead and dead and mary says martha says oh it's going to stink you can't go in there right but jesus talks to the father and lazarus is brought back to life okay it's a big miracle. One, one second. It, it, it's a big miracle. He's brought back to life. He will go home with his family, Mary, Martha, others, and he will age. Because, and then he will die In a second time, okay? But he's brought back to life. It is really exactly the same thing as we talk about when someone dies on the operating table and they, we talk about them being brought back. You know, they die down on the operating table, they put the paddles on, boom, they're brought back. Same idea. It's resuscitation, not resurrection. Resurrection is, is Jesus. Resurrection is not being brought back to life. It's being brought forward, being taken forward to newly embodied life. And, and, um. that's the difference that's the difference and when Jesus is resurrected it is bodily um, he will not taste death again he has gone through death he has gone through a life after death um, in the period between his death and his resurrection and then he enjoys a what N.T. Wright so cleverly calls a life after life after death that is his re-embodied existence which is what you affirm for yourselves every Sunday when we say the Apostles' Creed, and you get to the last line and you say the resurrection of the body, you're affirming your belief that you will be resurrected one day bodily, just as Jesus was. That's what that, that's what that last line is about. It's about your body, not Jesus's. He's earlier in the creed. The resurrection of the body is about us, about you and about me. So, Gary, you had a question? Well, uh,
1: yes and no, but uh, back at 6 on 24.6, it says he isn't there and he's been risen. How do you think they would have interpreted that at the second they, they told him that? He's been risen. How do you think they would interpret that? He
0: I been think, been okay, so you're back in Luke 24, right? Yes. Yeah. I think, okay, this is this is my opinion, is there is vast amounts of confusion that morning vast amounts of how do you process what here's that word again all of a sudden i'm using the word process how do you pro how do you think through what is happening around you you know we think we read it now two thousand years later and it's all in words and we can put it all together nice and neatly in our minds a magic confronting something that is beyond human imagining truth be told how would you deal with it how would you see it what would you experience I think John's gospel is the one you need to marry with Luke's gospel. John's gospel, where they look in the tomb, they're all confused. The guy's run back away again. She looks in the tomb. She sees these two dudes sitting there. She talks to them. She goes outside the tomb again. She's weeping, lost, I think, confused, so mournful. And then she encounters Jesus. You know, I... um. And if you read on in Luke, see the part that I read from Luke is from later that night, yeah. that Sunday night. Do they really and and do they really grasp what's happening? No, they don't really grasp what's happening. And and like Arthur said so well a few weeks ago, we should not imagine that if we were there, oh, we'd get it all, we'd understand everything about it. No, of course not. You know, I I sometimes when I teach this, I I say well. I'm pretty sure that when Peter got up Monday morning that he expected his grandmother, who was probably long gone, to be resurrected. Why? Because the Jewish expectation of resurrection was everybody at one time. There was no expectation of one person and then the others sometime later. Everybody at one time. And so as the days turn into weeks and the weeks turn into months and the months turn into years, the Christians have to come to grips with what has happened in the light of the truth of Jesus' resurrection. What did it mean? What did it change? And that is so much of Paul's focus. Paul's focus is not conveying to you a lot of Jesus' teachings. That's in the Gospels paul is wrestling with okay what happened what does it mean what are the consequences for us and for the world so yes 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 no, I don't think so. I, no, I think, think Mary is this whole category of things. Mary, I think in John's telling, it's a very emotional experience with Mary, and she wants to cling on to him. Just as we might want to cling on to Jesus and not go forward into the world that John has told us about that jesus has told us about because you remember go back a few chapters what does jesus say to the disciples well where i'm going you can't come and they're going what do you mean we can't come where i'm going you can't come but it's good i'm going because i'm going to send another one after you it's all very forward looking it's not backward looking see so the account with mary is sort of is sort of backward looking he has he has not a asc- no cuz it'll be 6 weeks before it'll be 6 weeks before that happens so um but but speaking of him not ascending yet is a way of speaking well he's facing forward don't try to yank him back that that's the way that's the way I see it and I think many people do who who read John here um but a mistake would be if we thought that he couldn't, she couldn't touch him because he was, like, you know, untouchable or immaterial, because we're not going to skip to it, but if you turned, like, a maybe a page in your Bible, you'd be to the story of doubting Thomas. There's da- there he is, Thomas, two, two, two knuckles deep, and this is Caravaggio's famous painting. <laughs> yes. Oh, Patty. What a good question. Patty's question is, how, how long had the Jews had this belief in the resurrection of the body? In essence, the resurrection of the dead is the way they would tend to speak of it. And you see it building over time. If you want a couple of markers, one is Ezekiel's vision of the dry bones. I would put that in that category where where. The dry bones in the desert that Ezekiel sees coming back together is about the restoration of Israel, but it's very material, right? It's bone and it's sinew all being knit back together. It's Then you go forward and you find in um, the book of Daniel, which is from a, a later period, very popular in Jesus' day, pretty much a straightforward declaration of resurrection in John in Daniel 12 and so in the book of the Maccabees which is not in your Bible unless you have the apocryphal books in it but they the other Jewish writings of the day express Jewish ideas and culture in the books of of the Maccabees the old man who is being martyred you know says, you know, I'm God's going to bring me back in the flesh basically so he can hold a sword and wreak vengeance on those who have done him and his fellow Jews wrong. So y- you see in it not just the biblical writings, but all of that all of the apocryphal writings, the writings that are we call pseudepigraphal, that they're all these writings until you come to a day when most Jews did, not all. Remember, if you read the Gospels, what's the name of one group that doesn't believe in the resurrection of the dead? The Sadducees. They're the ones who come to Jesus and try to mock the idea. Well, you know, take a woman who's had seven husbands. You know, if she dies, who's going to be her husband? And That's when Jesus says, ah, go away, and he quotes Genesis chapter 1 back to, to them and sends them on their way. But, Many Jews, um, probably most Jews, certainly led by the Pharisees, did believe in the resurrection of the dead. And, of course, that was, that was played out in Jesus just differently than people thought it would. That's what 1 Corinthians 15 is about, which we will gloriously get to sometime next year probably <laughs> okay when, when paul lays out what how this works that yes jesus, it's like a harvest you know a harvest takes a time combines roll in it takes depending on how many combines you have might take 10 days to harvest all the wheat in our world so there's time between the first the, be, the beginning of the harvest and the end of the harvest and in first Corinthians 15 paul says well jesus is first Of the harvest the rest of us will follow but it's all part of one harvest you just can't freak out over the fact that you know we're still in the middle of it and he's writing in 53 AD and here we are in the year 2000 and so it challenges us to have big imaginations and understand that we're talking about God's time not ours and when the time is ripe when God chooses, Jesus will return and we will all be bodily resurrected. Believe believer and non believer alike, bodily resurrected. Okay? Yes. I think that's a stretch myself. I know what it says. I I don't quite know where I would go to for that. I really don't. But, you know, th- these are the New Testament writers. So, so they ha- he has something in mind, right? I see something that you know, it's a kind of it's a kind of place Susan where if you open commentaries on it, you'll find well, so and so thinks it's this and so and so thinks it's this. Here's all the different possibilities it could be. It just. Refl- what's the larger thing it reflects? The larger point that it reflects, Susan, is that Jesus is the fulfillment of everything that came before. He is the fulfillment of the law of Moses. He is the fulfillment of the covenant. The whole Hebrew, all of the Hebrew scrolls have been, even when they didn't know it, they were pointing toward Jesus. Yes, Jesus is the suffering servant of Isaiah 53. To speak to a particularly plain one, it's like in the parable of Lazarus. You know, in the parable of Lazarus, you know, the the, the rich man who ends up uncomfortable <laughs> um, says, "Let me go back and tell my tell my family." And 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 the parable goes on to say well you don't need to go back it's all there it's all there you could under you can understand it's all there in the hebrew scrolls it's why in john 3 when nicodemus comes to jesus in the night jesus says how can you a teacher of israel not understand what i'm doing it's all there i am the fulfillment it's why jesus said i have come to fulfill scripture every jot and tittle because He is the fulfillment of everything that came before. God launched a rescue project um, in his promises to Abraham, with Abraham, and that project, piece by piece, understanding, not understanding, faithful, unfaithful, that project reaches its culmination in Jesus, in his incarnation, his death, his resurrection. Woe be us if we try to pull those too far apart. They all need to be considered together. We, t- we tend to want to chop things up. Incarnation, crucifixion, resurrection, they're all part of, of one event. It is God's rescue of, of humanity. I'm getting worked up here. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm sweating it. Okay. Yes. Okay, Andy. Okay, no, Jesus says don't touch me. That's what she would, that's what, wait, 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 wait. wait. That's what she would say to you, Andy. (laughs) I would only say that to my friend. I only, I I, I only pick, I only tease people I like. (laughs) Yeah. What? What do you mean? He's resurrected. He's bodily. He's like, sit down and have lunch with me, dude. Yes? Yes, he hasn't, because that won't happen for six weeks yet. He's just hanging around. He's resurrected. You know, now we're going to get to some interesting parts here because, as you know, people will say, well, you know, Jesus could walk through doors. I don't think so. He's got a body. Bodies don't move easily through doors. Okay, I think that the better way to think about the kingdom of God is as like another dimension that lays against our own. And so when Jesus is stepping back and forth for those six weeks, he is coming and going between the kingdom, between the God's, God's dimension and ours. And when we pray for that, that God's will would be done on earth as it is in heaven, we're praying for the final overwrapping of God's dimension over this sometimes quite wretched dimension that you and I inhabit now. So I think Jesus is going back and forth. Remember, in, in again, in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says that Jesus appeared to more than 500 people. Daring people to go talk to them. Because most of them would still be alive. It's only 20 years later. It appeared to more than 500 people. So for me, for my limited human imagination, that is what we're talking about. And so when Jesus says to Mary, I have not yet returned to the Father. I have not yet ascended. He has not yet taken his final place in dimension of God because he's going to go back and 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 forth and the key though is to see that he's not she can't have him back the way she wanted him she can't he's not going to walk the roads of Galilee anymore as he did for two and a half years with his disciples that has been done and now it's a matter of moving forward and you know what the truth is about people people don't always like to move forward You know, you kind of have, in life, you have to make a choice. You're going to be a, you're going to be, you're going to spend a gobs of your time looking backward over your life, or you're going to spend your time trying to look forward in life. I believe to have a happy, satisfying, contented life, strive to look forward. Enjoy some some looking back, enjoy some sentimentality. enjoy some remembering, but don't get lost in the past. Look forward, forward, forward. So, Anyway, so so he says, okay. Now let me just just leap right to my next point here, okay. So he says, don't hold on to me. I've not yet ascended to the Father. See, because the, uh, let me ask, this this came up to me yesterday, okay. Four first-century Jews, they spoke of God as Father. Do they? Did these people have a conception of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the inner workings of the Trinity? Of course not. They're going to arrive at that as they remember and contemplate everything that happened and everything that was said. But speaking of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, his father is something that the Jews did. Okay, so when he says, I have not yet returned to the Father, he's saying to her, I have not yet returned to the to God. Where is God for these people? Which direction would you go? Up. <laughs> you would go there as far as you could. And then you would run into God up there. That's you know, that's you have to you have to be willing to let the writings come out of their world and then bring them into your world. Because their mind is not filled with the stuff that your mind is filled with. They're not we have assumptions in our minds that we don't ever even contemplate. They're just as automatic as anything. Well, they did too, but you know, they didn't have a fraction of the understanding of God's glorious cosmos that we have today. It's a wonderful thing that we're learning more and more and more about God's creation. Aren't the aren't the photos that taken by the Hubble telescope some of those most beautiful things you've ever seen? Oh, my gosh, I think so. So I'm getting distracted here. Okay, so he says, Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my father and your father to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, quote, I have seen the Lord. So who is the first apostle? Who is the first carrier of the good news? Mary, a woman. A woman! One of, the, one of the base rock reasons to believe the gospel accounts of the tomb being empty is because it's found by women. Women were not seen as reliable witnesses in, first, in Second Temple Judaism. At Judaism at this time, they just weren't. And the news to the disciples about what has happened is not going to be carried by a dude, as people would expect. It is going to be carried by Mary Magdalene. There's probably a book written somewhere. Mary Magdalene, the first apostle. There's another apostle who we meet in the New Testament in Romans 16. Her name is Junia. Sadly, the, the Christian church spent nearly 2,000 years trying to turn her into a man (laughs) by imagining that her name was Junius. Her name wasn't Junius. Her name was Junia, and Junia is a female name. And so all of that feeds our proper reading of Scripture so that we will embrace women who are called to ministry like is Lauren here today somewhere like Lauren over here she's called to ministry I think it's ridiculous that there are churches who would not accept her Roman Catholic Baptist or whatever I don't get that I don't get that out of what I see happening in actually happening in the pages of scripture and here Mary is she's charged with it she's going to go tell the good news and what is the what is the news and these are loaded words. I have seen the Lord. Now, Lord doesn't have to be a loaded word because it can just sort of be like master or something. But ah, we're beginning to grasp, aren't we? I think John wants his readers to begin to grasp. If they haven't before, they should have before. <laughs> but he wants, based upon verse 1, chapter 10, some other wonderful little bits here and there. I have seen the Lord it is a remarkable thing that the early christians came to address jesus as lord that for for jews that was a loaded word the reason it was loaded is because in the hebrew scrolls the name of god is Y. we come bring it into english is y-h-w-h it's called the tetragrammaton it's um i will often say yahweh there's other ways to pronounce it it was it became so holy for them. The name of God was so holy for them that they would not say it. It was only spoken by the high priest on the Day of Atonement in the temple. So when the scrolls were read in the synagogues and elsewhere, they would, every time the name of God appeared, they would use the word Adonai in the Hebrew, which means Lord. And that's why your Old Testament is filled with all sorts of unusual small caps lords. (laughs) Because every time you run across that in your Old Testament underneath that small caps lord is the name of God. The holy name of the holy God. The holy one of Israel. Right? And so for these followers of Jesus to begin to use the word Lord to talk about him is immense and and uh, within within 10 years they were speaking of Jesus as they had only ever spoken of the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob which is remarkable because they were radically monotheistic that's how they get to the Trinity is they know that Jesus they grasp it. They see it. They know it. it they, they I'm sure God's Spirit helps them along, but they grasp it. And, and so they begin to get this peak inside God's innermost being, which culminates in the Christian understanding of God as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, um, the unity of God in the three persons. So she says this good news carried by a woman. That's so awesome. It's 2021. Is it 2021? No, it's not even 2021. (laughs) It's now 2022. (laughs) Oh, man. How soon do we go on that vacation, Patty?
1: Not soon enough.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Uh Uh-huh. And and all of that stems from this moment in the Gospels. And unfortunately, just as Pope Gregory abused Mary Magdalene, in our day, people want to use Mary Magdalene to carry all sorts of things. That's what da- Dan Brown does in the book The Da Vinci Code that's all built around Mary Magdalene actually having a baby with Jesus and all this other weird stuff that he created in order to make a kajillion dollars. And he did make a kajillion dollars, right? What? Yeah, a fun book as long as you don't believe any of it, my friend. Science fiction, I would call it. Okay, so yeah, so poor Mary, she's just a woman from a very small town on the western shore of the Sea of Galilee. But she is the one who was sent to carry this good news to the other disciples. Other disciples, I have seen the Lord. And look at the close of verse 18. And she told them that he had said these things to her so she carries the news she tells the story I don't know how she told the story I don't know what details she included it didn't enough that John writes it this way it's a very poignant telling with her trying to cling to Jesus and him saying don't and, and her weeping and all the rest of it I think John was probably caught up in it remember as I said a couple of weeks ago that in the history of the church the tradition around this is that Mary Oh, forget everything I was just about to say I was mixing my own Marys up. Never mind. Never mind. (laughs) Yeah, Don. (laughs) Uh. Which point? No, no. No, because we don't really know who had what. We have them all together. together. And by the the end of the first century, they're all written. And we know that Paul's letters were circulated, right? That's how they became part of what we have bound in our Bibles. Um, People make lots of suppositions about the communities that these Gospels are written for and how much the Gospel writers know But they're all suppositions and they're all guesses and there is not 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 a lot of agreement about about a lot of it the church tradition is that john ends up in ephesus and so the the the, if you believe that then the belief would be that this gospel is written for the community in ephesus for me i think it's a stretch to think there wasn't known because of the Ephesus, for example, it's a big place, it's a big commercial place. people traveled, people moved, people did send things, they did copy things, they did circulate them around. so I for one, am not at all convinced that John didn't have access to any of the other gospels. I would not make that assumption. I think John has his own point to make which is the toughest thing of all. He wants you to grasp that Jesus was not merely Messiah but was God and he takes on that task late in his life perhaps because of what else was written he didn't feel they had really quite quite taken on that task but I, I, I don't have a problem with John. Hmm. But see, but, but John, if John did, others would have, because John was just a common man. John was, John was a, would have been a fisherman. If he's John, the son of Zebedee, he was hauled out of a fishing boat alongside Peter to do this. So how, what kind of help did he get? See, we don't know the answers to that either. We know in Paul's letters he speaks of getting help. What kind of help might John have gotten? Um, how much did he learn? How much did he grow in in his writing and his grammar over the years. Just, there are just so many questions like that that, that that we don't know. And so, I don't know. For me, I try to keep it simple and I try to focus on what's on the page and, and make reasonable guesses about the rest of it. We're, gonna, we're do, gonna do a sermon series in the fall here. Ready for this? 14 weeks gonna be a 14-week sermon series on the Apostle Paul and so what we decided we wanted this was a good idea Arthur's idea and and what we decided what we wanted to do was to take it through the story of Paul's life and encounter his writings in the context of Paul's story told in the book of Acts and in his own letters so you to do that you have to have a chronology right And you have to make some about like what's written where, and is he in jail where and when, and every single scholar of Paul has a different idea, right? So what did we do? We just picked one, right? We just picked one. We picked N.T. Wright's because it's nice and neat. He's got a new book. It's in the back, a little table back there. Yeah, okay. It works. It works. You know, his assumptions are as good as anybody's. But just realize that um, we're probably, as much as we can, we're called to to, to 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 focus on what's on the page. And I think that means we have to be careful about trying to harmonize the Gospels. By that, I mean you take the Gospels apart and you try to put them back into the order that you want them to be in. And I don't know. I, I think that's... I used to do a lot of that kind of thing. I have a few resources on my shelf that are helpful in, in that regard, but one is called a Harmony of the Gospels. But I think generally I try to see the portraits that each of, one, each of them is giving us. So, Okay. Any other questions before we go on? All right. Well, let's just read on a little bit further then. So on the evening of the first day of the week, that would be Sunday, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, you bet. That's why? Because they knew from history, from experience, that followers of the Messiah which was, how, which was how Jesus was seen because messiahs didn't get themselves crucified, were rounded up and executed themselves to put because from the Roman perspective, it's all about putting down a rebellion. So you would put down the rebel king, rebel leader, rebel chieftain, whatever, and the, and the immediate followers and maybe more than that. So they're, they're hiding away. Suddenly, with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. You notice it does not say Jesus passed through the doors. Right? I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't even say that. All of a sudden, all of a sudden, he's just there. He's just there. And he greets them in a very standard way. Peace be with you. And after he said this, he showed them his hand. And he showed them his side. And why does he show them his hands and his side? So they could see the wounds, right, that he carries. The wounds in his hands and the wounds in his side. And um, that raises a lot of questions for people about, well, in resurrection I really thought that I would that I would be made whole and those wounds would be would be gone or you take somebody who's who lost a leg in an accident or something that when I'm resurrected I would have two legs again and um, I, I think you know my my way I do this is that you pack those sorts of questions that aren't directly answered with as much goodness as you possibly can Jesus, Jesus is unique. Jesus is unique. His, his vocation was unique. Your vocation is not Jesus' vocation. You are not Jesus. And I, I think preserving the wounds in his hands and his side have a purpose to serve. And so they are there. That's, that's my own take on it. Verse 20, after he said this, he showed them his hands and sighed, and his disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Of course they're overjoyed. They love this man. They've been with this man for two and a half years. Do they comprehend everything they would come to comprehend over the next 20 or 30 or 40 years? No. That's not, that's not how things work. They're just, they're just overjoyed to see him. And the hands... And the wounds in his hands and the wounds in his side are the proof that he is Jesus. He isn't somebody pretending to be Jesus, okay? And again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. Well, that's like a little great commission right there, isn't it? Sure is. Sure is. You call it, You call it, Gary. Sure is, right? In the Gospel of Matthew, it's more... Of you know, go out and make disciples of all nations, you know, teaching them and baptizing them and teaching them to obey and stuff. And in the book of Acts, chapter 1, it's bigger. It's, it's all, you know, go out and be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Samaria, Judea, to the ends of the whole thing. Here, it's very simple, but carries the same weight as my Father sent me, I am sending you. The disciples have a vocation. You and I are still living within that vocation, right? We are still living within that vocation. And with that, he breathed on them. And he says, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Well, those are a couple of sentences that have drawn much ink. Some people call this John's little Pentecost moment, that John, in his gospel, he want because of everything he said, you see, if you go back a few chapters, um, what did John say to the disciples? I'm going, you can't come, but God's going to send another one after me. The, spir- the spirit, the counselor, a comforter, advocate, So, of course, John would want a moment in in this to reinforce the truth of that, that the Holy Spirit is empowering these disciples. I don't think this moment diminishes what happens at Pentecost. Some people want to reconcile all of that, and it can be, a big challenge. I don't think it diminishes Pentecost. It's a small group of his innermost disciples who are gathered there. He has been taught. He say what? So it's Sunday evening, right? On Thursday evening is when he made the promise to them that another one would come after him. So it's just a few days later, and now it's coming to fruition. And I, for one, just don't think it diminishes what happens at Pentecost. That's about the crea- the creation and foundation of the church. But you can come to your own conclusions. And believe me, there are many different conclusions about that. The last phrase, you know, those who you forgive will be forgiven and those who aren't, those who you don't, won't be, is most commentators on it will see it as this is sort of speaking of one's reception of the gospel and sort of, s- what? I can't think of a good word. Sort of stance in forgiveness. That, that when these disciples go forth, right? Because he's sending them. He's sending them. What's he sending them to do? What, what did he tell Mary to do? Go tell them. Go tell them on the mountain, baby. Go tell them. So, so, but I'm not going to sing it for you. So go tell them. So now he's going to go send forth. Right? Go send. As Father sent me, I'm sending you. So they're going to go out and they're going to carry the good. They're going to carry the gospel. They're going to carry the good news. And there will be people who will receive the gospel with repentance and faith and their sins will be forgiven. And there are those who will not receive the gospel with repentance and faith and they will not be forgiven. The gospel's the key. The good news is the key. You can ignore the good news if you want, but if you f- if you do ignore the good news that these disciples are carrying carried carry to the world, well, okay. But you can't imagine that you are then reconciled with God, that your sins have been forgiven. God is God is offering you this 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 forgiveness, this reconciliation. Um, but if if you're if you're going to cling to your own ego and push all that aside, then the reconciliation isn't going to be um, for you. So that, that, that's kinda, I think that's kind of the best way to, to think about the last, but it does kind of makes people's eyes go big a little bit sometimes. So when we come together next week, We're going to come to Doubting Thomas. There we go. I just love this painting. (laughs) Okay? So, all right. So, Patty, I'm going to turn it over to you now. I'm going to come over. I'm going to take off my mic. I'm going to hand you this. You're going to have to come close to me, though, baby. (laughs)
1: Okay. Okay. Can you? Is my voice coming out. I guess it is. <laughs> <laughs> I will. Um, last week, Scott and I had um, the joy of going to a Perkins Chapel where Lauren was leading and was doing was being the liturgist also that day. And um, what they did at their prayers, I thought was really a great way and Scott agreed for us to close out our prayer each week because it's we have a lot of people I'll be honest sometimes I have major senior moments and, and that moment cannot remember your first name as I'm going you <laughs> so um, how they did it first the the reader which was Lauren like lifted up a, a concern and then people could either say the name of the person that they wanted to share a concern with, they could give a little more detail if they wanted, they could give a first and last name, whatever you feel comfortable with, and the same thing with Joyce, and it just went really well. So um, today I just wanted to offer up the very first concern is for Sharon Kerr, and we're waiting for Sharon to find out um, when her surgery will be to remove a cancerous um, kidney that was just discovered. So I'm going to pray for that. And does anyone else have any today at all? Great. For Dennis Guff um, from his bypass surgery. Anybody else have any joys or concerns today? People of Ukraine, yes. joy of being a great-grandmother. That's wonderful. That is so wonderful. Okay, so I don't think there's any other ones. We'll just close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this beautiful day today. We thank you, God, for this time to study your word. We pray, God, that you would be with us as we leave here today. We pray, God, you'd keep us healthy and safe, and we pray, God, for your wisdom and your discernment, not only for ourselves, Lord, but for our friends and our family. We do pray, God, for what is going on right now, this this horrible humanitarian crisis in Ukraine, and we pray God for our world leaders and our president just to be making the right decisions, God, that need to be made at this time. Um, we love you, Lord. We are very grateful. We lift up these prayers to you, and we pray them in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Adios, everybody. Adios,